Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You are listening to Be The Change, a podcast of conversations with true visionaries who are creating new paradigms for a healthier planet and society. I am your host, Christine Demick, and my work is in finding real solutions to the biggest problems we face today, climate crisis, capitalism, social injustices, and our failing health. There are amazing humans out there that have answers, and it is my mission to have their voices heard. Together, we can raise consciousness and create a just and equal society. Together, we can be the change. It is no surprise the current COVID-19 pandemic has led many to relocate. Cost of living, job opportunities, schools, access to nature, and quality of life are all things considered. But what about a five degree temperature increase in the summer? Or fires that will be a yearly occurrence? Hurricanes, loss of coastline and unfarmable land? Today, Bernadette Woods-Plackey, an Emmy award-winning meteorologist and director of Climate Central's Climate Matters program, joins me to discuss how climate should and will be playing a role in where we choose to live and why we should be planning for this now. Welcome, Bernadette. Well, thank you for having me. I am so thrilled to have you here today to discuss this this never-discussed topic, which I don't think most people even think about. And there seems to be like this wild disconnect with, you know, like the hurricane. It's like, well, if we pray or if like, hopefully keep our fingers crossed, it's going to miss the house this year. Why do you think that is? You're correct. There is a huge disconnect. The thing is, there's a lot of research and survey work done around this particular topic. And people do understand something's happening. They're not exactly understanding what, how it's affecting them personally, their communities, the things, the people, the places that they love, and what can be done about it. So they understand something's changing. They feel it, they see it. But then it's hard to find information on what that is and trusted information on what that is. There are so many ways we could take this specific question in the disconnect because there truly is that disconnect. But a couple of the big things I want to point out are people aren't talking about it enough just in general. So people aren't learning. It has become political. So it's been put in this pocket of sort of off-limit topics for some people. There's a lot of money in fossil fuels and that has factored into the conversation. Yeah. There is just a lot of confusion in how to approach this subject. So because of that, people have run away. Our media, whom I work with specifically, isn't bringing it in enough in the right ways, making the connections in these extreme weather events or these ways of life that are being affected. I mean, they're making incredible progress, but we still have a long way to go. So when you don't have your elite cues, your media, your politicians, your leaders talking about this in the right ways, it doesn't make it down to the, the kitchen table in a topic that you talk about on a daily basis. I agree. You do say, oh, well, then I know there's a lot of the weather is not climate change, right? And so then that kind of confuses people. And then here we are. And then I feel like people aren't finally going to get it until they get the insurance bill or they're not able to get insurance at all, which I know is going to happen in some places. So 
as a meteorologist, do you see that people are, that this is changing? I do. I do see this changing. The thing is, one of the questions that's been put out to the public, which is still lingering, is, is this happening or not? And unfortunately, that's just the wrong question. That's a question that was answered decades ago. That question needs to be advanced in these ways of, how is it affecting my weather? How is it affecting my food? How is it affecting my water, my economy? This is actually a huge equality issue, too, that's not connected enough. So there's so many different layers to the subject matter, because unfortunately, climate change has really infiltrated so many aspects of our life. But yes, there is a huge change happening. There really, truly is. Let's take it back a few years to even the Paris Climate Change Agreement. 2015, the world came together to signal a direction for the future. The world does not come together on any single subject, really ever. I mean, that's pretty monumental. Now, (laughs) There's a lot of things about that agreement that you can dissect of how much people committed, how much they should commit, where we're going from here. But the fact that they made that agreement means that the world collectively understands that there's an issue. And it is working down, as you brought up, weather. I particularly work with meteorologists. They've been making huge advancements in connecting daily weather and extreme weather events with climate change. So the media in general is making way more of a connection in these extreme wildfires, in these hurricanes that we're seeing intensifying so rapidly. Also, in our corporate America, there have been huge advancements. The insurance industries have seen this coming for a long time now. It's already factoring into insurance prices, and we can get into that a little bit here too. We're seeing it in the banking systems. We're seeing it in local communities across the country, even if it's not fully up to a federal level. We're seeing it in jobs and job trainings. One of the leading forms of jobs out there right now is renewable energy jobs and installations of wind and solar. So this is actually happening. And it is something that has made big advancements, particularly over the past five to 10 years, but again, not enough and not quickly enough. So what are some of the effects of climate that you see in your work? That's, you know, it's causing our our weather to change and maybe that we should think about if we're planning on relocating. Yeah, you know, I'm going to break it down a little bit here because I think sometimes people miss the simple connection that it comes down to the concept of the greenhouse effect. And this is why we're so confident in the science. We understand the greenhouse effect so well. This is science going back to the 1800s. We understand there are certain gases in our atmosphere that create a warming effect. And we are adding more of those gases. We can actually measure that we're adding more of those gases. So we're confident that is happening. So that is why we know this science is so solid. Now, how that plays out really varies in different places and in different types of things. For example, extreme weather, which we started to talk about in my background, being a meteorologist is one that I know the most about. We are getting longer, stronger, more extended heat events that are having huge tolls on people's health and on infrastructure, and on cooling centers. I mean, think about it. A local community, what it costs to open a cooling center, keep that going, especially during these COVID times. This is a regular occurrence now. This isn't just an event that happened every so often. It's happening all the time, and the event is lasting longer, and that's taking a huge toll on people. We're also seeing the inequality of heat from rural areas to urban areas, where our trees are located in cities. You know, in some of the low-income communities in our cities, there just aren't enough trees, simple trees, to create a cooling effect. 
And when you get into rural areas, the ability to access those cooling centers becomes harder and harder the farther out you go. So that's one huge thing. I mean, the most clear connection is more, more intense and longer lasting heat. We're also seeing heavier downpours. These rainfall events, when we get them, they come in buckets and that creates flooding issues from communities across the country. We're also seeing that hurricanes are intensifying more rapidly. They're getting their their juice, their fuel from the warmer water that's out there. So they're just exploding. Then when they do make landfall, they're coming with more rain and they're bringing a storm surge that's higher and goes farther inland. Wildfires, setting the stage. Now, and climate change may not be causing wildfires or causing hurricanes, but it's making them worse. Getting into this year with the wildfires happening out west, which they're just on another level. What we're seeing is that in a warming world, the land dries out quicker and it's setting the stage for an absolutely explosive wildfire when it does happen. So on a range of different weather events here, again, climate change may not always cause that event, but it's making it worse or making it last longer or making it more impactful across the board. And that's one thing that is pretty solid science with climate change, but it's not just extreme weather, right? Climate change has affected so much of our world anymore. It's affecting our food systems. It's affecting our water, the quality and the quantity. It's affecting our health, worsening air quality, more stress from the extra heat that we have out there. The economy is taking an impact from climate change. I mean, even just to take it back to weather, to keep it in that same line, these extreme weather events are reaching extraordinary price tag levels. And someone's got to pay for that, right? The other thing too, this is an equality story. Racial equality, social equality, we're seeing those that are the most vulnerable get affected the most from all of these things, from the extreme weather to the food, to the water changes, to the health changes that we're seeing out there. And you can even take it a, a layer deeper. Infrastructure, our buildings, our roads, coastal flooding, changing oceans, our shifting ecosystems and seasons. This is also a national security issue that sometimes people don't fully get into that level of it. But part of what we're seeing is that around the equator in some areas that are getting drier and drier right now is forcing communities to move into new spaces and it's becoming a migration issue. Tourism, now that'll factor back into the economy, but we're seeing that on the forefront right now with COVID that people can't travel the ways they want and that's affecting tourism dollars and economies. Well, that's only going to be amplified with climate change. And then I always like to take it back to our ways of life. Things that are so near and dear to us that may not seem high level for everybody, but if you take someone from Minnesota, they identify with their frozen lakes fishing and their cross-country skiing and their snowmobiling. And that's not something you can recreate in a warming world. Now, some of our snow communities may be able to make snow to some extent, but you're not just going to freeze over a lake. So these are things that are near and dear to our hearts that are being greatly affected. Yes. And then what happens is that people like now you hear this and it's like, I'm sure people out there feeling, oh, overwhelmed. Like, what can we do? Which leads me to one of the questions. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit, which is if we actually became CO2 neutral and we did something, would we be able to turn with the weather calm down? Like how long would that take? Do we know? This is another part of the climate change conversation that I think gets a little confused is the 
Greenhouse gases that we're adding to the atmosphere, in particular carbon dioxide and to a portion methane, two of the primary ones. But carbon dioxide is the real big one that we need to focus on here. Methane is still an issue. I'm not saying it isn't, but it's not as extraordinary of an issue at this moment. However, getting into those gases, people don't understand how long they last in the atmosphere. So what we're putting in today stays for hundreds to thousands of years. That's why you hear the urgency in the scientist's voice about what we need to do. And I, I say that not to add on to the lack of hope, but to put some context on this here. So we've baked in some of our future warming already. That's the reality of the situation. However, we're still at a point where we can manage the impacts we're seeing to an extent. And every 10th of a degree from here greatly matters. So if we were to go carbon neutral, which is what we have to do, it's going to limit our future work. Now, again, to put that in perspective, we've still baked in some because of what we're putting out today. But as we transition to that carbon neutral, which is, again, where we need to go, it will limit some of the worst impacts of climate change down the line that, that aren't manageable. And I do say that always with an eye to those who have lost their lives in these extreme events, because for them, it's already here and now, and they're, they're already being affected by it in the biggest ways possible. But it's only going to get worse if we don't deal with it now. Okay. So that's probably, I don't even mean to laugh. That's a nervous laugh. I've been pretty active in this for a while. It's it's the first time I ever knew that what we're doing today will last for, did you say a thousand years or hundreds of years? It depends on the specific type of gas. If we want to get a little nerdy here, methane is becoming more and more of an issue because of natural gas. And Methane is a much more powerful greenhouse gas, but it lasts a shorter amount of time, order of 70-ish years. Carbon dioxide gets into half-lives, right? So all these gases have half-lives. The bulk of the impact from carbon dioxide is hundreds, on the scale of hundreds of years, but some form of it is still lingering for thousands of years. So it breaks down to an extent, but doesn't completely go away. And I'm sure if we were able to do, are you familiar with regenerative farming? Yes. Okay. So, which is a great way to bring about more greenery, sequester that CO2, and also create healthy dirt that would, when we do have these rain bombs, right? You know, when the rain comes pouring down, that it actually can soak up that water. Whereas uh, soil that's depleted, as you know, it just washes off and then the, the topsoil is gone. So, I wonder, I mean, I don't think anyone. And maybe they do know. If they do, they know 100% for sure. I want you to say it, Bernadette. But I'm guessing like it depends how we choose to fix it or which way we go will depend on what it looks like. Would that be a correct statement? That's exactly the right way to look at this. Essentially, the longer we wait, the harder it is to fix and the more expensive it is to fix. The sooner we can get a handle on this, the less of an impact we're going to have down the line. Okay. And I do want to bring in some hope here in this conversation, though, too, because the seriousness of climate change is overwhelming. Yes. I mean, it's it's no joke. But where we have hope is this issue. We know what's causing it and we know how to fix it. And 
most of the solutions are in place. We just need to scale them and we need to get people behind that. So for example, in the United States, our biggest source of emission is transportation with energy a very close second. If you put our energy systems and our transportation together, you're talking 70-ish percent of our overall emissions that we put out there. So 70%, that's a huge amount. We already have electric transportation in place and renewable energy in place, and we're expanding rapidly in the world of storage to be able to not only store those renewable energy sources, but then feed them into our transportation sources. So if we could even just get a handle on that, that's about 70% of our emissions in the United States. And those are technologies that are already out there and in place. Then getting into the food part of it, like you were saying, farming and agriculture, it's such an interesting area because farming does contribute to our greenhouse gases, but it also is an opportunity to take that carbon back out of the atmosphere and at the same time, make for better soils that absorb more water, produce better food, more quality and quantity in the food that we get out of them too. So that's another direction to add to this. And then you've got the whole world of thinking through new, cool, green infrastructure that's out there. And it's really neat stuff when you dive into it. So (laughs) these things already exist in our society. Again, we need to get behind them. We need to scale them both in the numbers of people using it and how quickly we can implement them. So I wonder, the last conversation I had was with Dr. Bruce, Dr. Bruce Landfair, who he has been working for years on toxins. And we had a discussion on what's stopping us from focusing on prevention and instead of looking at treatment and these Band-Aids. And it sounds like it's the same here, And which is I'm going to ask you, I don't know if you know, but so we have this. What's stopping us then? Is it money? Is it the big corporations? I don't think it's one answer. I don't think it's that simple for this subject. I think that there are many layers to it. It comes back to what we discussed in the very beginning here that it's become political, that there are systems in place that are funding doubt into this conversation, that the lack of knowledge in some of the subject matters delayed the process and made it a little more complicated. Plus, I mean, technology is ramping forward. So this wouldn't have been the same discussion 25 years ago with the technologies that we have now. So we're at a point now where all of the old arguments are gone. It actually costs more money not to take care of this at this point than it does to actually implement these solutions that we have in place. Because we're at the point where the tipping scales, you know, you've got these extreme weather events. You've got these systems breaking down that are costing extraordinary amounts of money and lives and just the personal toll. At the same time, the price for solar is coming down so quickly. Getting renewable energy is coming down so quickly. What's happening in the world of electric transportation is just fascinating. We're watching this shift in front of our eyes. The global community is playing into that because other countries are demanding that their country goes electric in the future. So American car companies want to play in that global community and they're making these cars that we're going to see implemented, whether people thought, hey, in five years, I'm going to have an electric car. There's so many of those people that will just because those will be the cool options that are out there. And I gotta tell you, if you haven't driven an electric car, do it. Because 
it's just so fun. Like this is a really cool technology that exists and is fun. And as you said, creates cleaner air, it creates cleaner water, and is going to put us in an opportunity to move forward economically as a society too. We would still then though have to look at how we're generating the electricity, right? Correct. Okay. Yeah. That is a big part of this. You know, and that's an interesting part of this conversation while we're in that transition zone. Yeah. Because if you buy an electric car, though, you are still dependent on how that electricity is generated. But those systems are changing right now. So if you buy an electric car, the way you're getting your electricity for your car today is going to be different than in five to 10 years. And there's a good chance you're still going to have that car. So you're not locked into that infrastructure in that same way, but you're correct. We have to advance those systems too of how we're generating the electricity for those cars. And it is really interesting to see some of these, you know, charging highways spread out. And it is dependent on the location that they're in, whether it's a local policies or just how their land is organized in that place, you know, their access to solar, their access to wind, of how they they bring that into their mix, their energy mix. So both of these areas, this is where we should be focusing our energy, right? Not this conversation of is or is or not happening. That's my whole point from the beginning is these are the great conversations to have because these systems, the basics are in place. We need to have really smart people focusing on the best ways to move these forward. Agree. And I just wish I'm I'm constantly just having these discussions and looking at how I guess we finally get the politicians to wake up or those who are in charge. And it's multi-layered, as I was discussing with Dr. Bruce. If we can prevent children from having leukemia, why wouldn't we do that? You know, <laughs> why would we try to focus on a cure or a medicine to monitor it or keep it in check versus why don't we just prevent it? So I'm with you. I'm with you 100%. And I hope that we're headed there. I, There's some interesting research I just want to bring up real quick yes, for please. anyone listening that wants to dive deeper into understanding the public's opinions on this, because there's a huge disconnect there on where we stand with this issue as a society and how it's being talked about from some high levels. Please. There's a group at Yale and at George Mason that have been doing surveys twice a year going back to 2008. And it's called Climate Change of the American Mind. And what they do is take a snapshot and a whole set of questions about climate change and people's opinions on policies, on how they're seeing it play out in their communities. And they've seen these numbers going up pretty dramatic, well, slowly going up, but over the past couple of years have made some pretty big jumps. And it's across the country. Over 70% of people are convinced that the climate is changing. As as we talked about, they don't know exactly what that means. But when you dive deeper into some of these questions that they have, and and you can Google Yale Climate Opinion Maps, it's this downscaled interactive mapping system that they have that you can go to your community anywhere in the United States and go through that set of questions and see what people really think about this subject matter. You'll see that where the numbers all go sky high is the support of clean energy, educating our children. And to me, that's a huge one because that's, you know, rubber hits the road kind of a thing. That means I'm interested and I want to learn more. 
And then they also just added a series of 10 questions on climate reporting, since we do so much work with the media. And overwhelmingly, the public wants to hear more about the subject matter. All 10 of those questions were at least 70% or higher of wanting to hear about impacts, solutions, locally, nationally, globally. And so you can go in and play around with those, but that's where the public is right now. Yes. Yes, the public's there. It's just the, the politicians aren't. And I have to think that it's because they have their campaigns are being funded by the big oil, many lobbyists and associations that want this to continue, which they have grandchildren. I mean, <laughs> I don't understand. But there are a lot of things I don't understand. But unfortunately, some people do put immediate profit over people. And that's some things that that will have to change within um, maybe the, I don't know, the moralities of society, or I, I don't know what you would call that, right? But deep discussions about where our values lie as human beings, whether it's, is it that we all want to have bigger houses and more things and stuff and die early, or do we want to have community and, and a beautiful land and, and maybe more equality? And I think sometimes these questions, I mean, just to put it out there, we are a, a nonprofit, non-advocacy organization. Sure. We, we don't get into the politics of this. We're really about the science. Yeah. And the science is very clear on the subject matter. So that's why I keep coming back to the science. Even yeah. the solutions aspect of the science, I always come back to where our emissions come from and how we have to bring them down to zero, right? Yeah. So there are some people that will process it how you're saying, and that's how they move forward. But there are other people that just see it's really cool to drive a, a neat car or that I'm going to save money by having solar panels. And that will move things forward too. And you have lots yeah. of different people that process things differently. And the thing is we need to get that information to them. And there's still this disconnect, not just, not just from some of our politicians, although that is an area where there is a huge disconnect, but even working with our media. I mean, we we're coming a long way, but we're not, necessarily making all the connections in the places, in the moments to inform our public so that they understand this. And we're not seeing it on, on a lot of levels. You know, this is just one of those subject matters that got so messy and got sort of pushed into a corner that people are ignoring it. So they don't know how to dissect it and jump into it. Yeah. Well said, Bernadette. And one of the good things that I see happening, I know that you're in New Jersey, right? Correct. So they just mandated that our children will be taught a climate education, which was great. I don't know if you worked on that at all or not, but wow, right? It is super exciting. I did not work on that. I am so excited to see it, especially since I have kids in the Jersey school systems. Yes. And what's so interesting about how they're implementing it is it's not just in science. It's across the board. And that's what this issue has become. It can't just be put in one pocket of science, even though sometimes that's not even given its due, right? But it is a cultural issue. It can be brought into the arts. It can be brought into engineering and, and architecture. It can be brought into our literature. I mean, there's so many different ways to look at this and to learn. And that's what they're going to try and do in New Jersey, which is super exciting. So exciting. We have a bill here on the floor at New York State that... I'm hoping that we can get some traction with in January so we can have that passed in, in New York as well. And I think, again, education is, is key. You know, we teach the children, we, you know, we just bring it into that. It's, it's going to become part of our society. And 
And it is with our younger generation, quite honestly, anyway. If you dive into all that survey work, and I work very closely with George Mason University and Ed Maybeck there. He's a partner on the project. So I get a front-hand view of all this work that he does, and it is there. The youth are there. Yes. (laughs) They are the one driving some of the subject matter at this point, and it is really exciting to see. So maybe we need some adult education for for the adults (laughs) to catch up. Okay, so here's one of the things. So I love New York. I'm a New York girl, New York City girl. Grew up in Long Island, New York City. Been here for over 35 years, 40 years. And I don't love winter, but I love the ocean. So I have all these things. And we were looking, my husband and I thought, we were one of the people who thought about relocating and, and looking at that. What, how does one do that now? Like I shouldn't go to Miami where it's warmer, should I? And buy waterfront property. I mean, I just heard, I think the New York Times or someone just did an article on, you know, in 20 years. I mean, where that's going to look, you can't even get a mortgage. Is, <laughs> is that is too much? Personal. This is a very personal decision for people. A lot of I'm different emotional. things you have to factor in. And I mean, let's take it back to COVID for a moment here. It's Every day we're assessing our own risk, right? And it might change from day to day. And everyone's got a different risk tolerance and what they're going to accept and where they're going to go with this. And climate change is that on just much larger scales. And it's not to diminish the impact of COVID because it's extraordinarily important. It's just that what we're seeing coming down the line with climate change is that accelerated and magnified. So you do have to take into account the things that you love and the things that you want to bring into your life, but you also have to look at them in a smart way of what you can accept and what is really investment versus not investment here too, because coastal communities are hurting, especially Florida. At Climate Central, we have a really robust sea level rise team. And for anyone listening that's interested, you can go to our Surging Seas site and it's a mapping tool of really around the world, but a ton of data in the U.S., over 100 data sets that you can map down to the street level and then toggle around different projections of sea level rise and see where that water goes. And then you can see what's going to be under that water. How many schools, how many hospitals, how many roads, what the population distribution looks like. So we've got that tool for the whole world, but we've got that extra census data for the United States. And so that's something I would love if you're living in a coastal community now, or if you're looking to buy in a coastal community, definitely take that into account. We're already seeing it affect home values. It is already. Think about it. That's one of the few times you look ahead 30 years, right? Most people are just living for the day or next year or in COVID, just trying to get through the day. But it's one of the times you pause and you assess 30 years of your life. And so what could that look like in 30 years? It's not just that the water is creeping up into houses, but it's what's going to be around that house too. In Florida, the water is creeping into the sanitation systems, the water systems. It's backing up in some of the areas that discharge water. So we're starting to see the water quality change also. And then you got to account for the heat, more bugs that last longer and bringing more diseases. So it's never in an isolated scenario. You have to really take all of those elements into account. And unfortunately, no area is going to escape climate change. It's just not going to happen. There's some pieces of research out there that show different migration patterns and 
there was a story that caught a lot of traction from a research paper saying everybody should move to Duluth. But it's the timescales you're looking at, the things that you love, the things that you want to be near. You do have to take that atone out. You got to be smart about it. You have to think about these things in ways that matter. Yeah. It's smart about it. Well, right now, yeah, as you pointed out, we did own in New York City and sold our place and now we rent because we do like the water and we do like to be right on the water's edge. But also, you know that it's not storms anymore that are, you know, once in a hundred years. It's just, when is the next one? And unfortunately too, here, there's been so much arguing over how to put in barriers or what that looks like in Manhattan. You know, many things to think about. And then there really are. And then out West, I mean, we're talking East Coast, but to bring in the West Coast here and wildfires, this is the kind of year that's going to make some people rethink mm-hmm. where they live in California. I mean, this is just such an off the charts, extraordinary year. And it doesn't mean every year is going to be like this, but it's a sign that these things aren't going away. and they have some really hard decisions to make because I don't know how many people really follow this, but we've got our national flood insurance program that is supported by the government and it is bankrupt and it has been for years and people keep voting on updating it, but it's not a fun subject matter to have on your plate because people are going to suffer if you really truly price homes along coasts that aren't supported by some of these government flood insurance programs, the prices are going to just change dramatically. So there's, there's that, but that's what we're starting to see with wildfire insurance out West. There are certain companies that do not want to give people insurance now, and yet it's required in some communities to have wildfire insurance. And I mean, Last year, the governor put out there that he was putting sort of a temporary hold on on some of those big decisions with some of the companies. We can't either, I mean, who knows where that's going to go? So this is a huge subject, a big reckoning out West over the real immediate future. Yes, tough conversations no one wants to have, but are going to have to have because we are finally getting there. I think I had shared with you my my cousin lost his entire home in Napa. Every year, I have two cousins mm. who live there and separate homes, but every year they go through this. And it can happen like that in just a second. He went there the day before and he let the chickens in. You know, he has chickens and, he, you know, lovely. His son had bees and a beautiful home. And they were told that it was okay. And he, was, he brought stuff back. And overnight, the winds changed, and he woke up in the morning, and his home was gone, just gone, nothing left. And the insurance will cover the remainder of his mortgage, and that is it. And then they're just left with the land. And wow, you could only imagine. And unfortunately, I mean, he, we're all helping him, and he has a support, and he has a home that she'll, you know, as much as we can. But not everyone's in that situation. And that, you know, how many GoFundMes can we do to get people out of this? And I, I guess that's why I'd like to, having this big conversation is that to really think about that, that when it comes to you, and it will happen, you know, eventually, like you said, we're all going to be touched by this in some way. So it's heartbreaking. And 
Yeah. Unfortunately, these stories are piling up. They're not unique. Yeah. They are hard. These are really hard conversations that people have to have. Yeah. And then he's deciding whether he should. So now it's, should he sell the land or should he rebuild? And the, here's the funny thing about hope is that, you know, we all have hope and it's like, well, I love it here. And I do. And I get that, you know, I get that. Like, I love it so much, but at some point, I guess you have to judge with what you, would you be willing to rebuild and have that happen again? Because it is entirely possible. None of this is a fluke. Right. And they're, they're having that conversation there. The Gulf Coast this year, poor Louisiana. Yes. Just storm after storm. I mean, people have even forgotten that we had this massive Drato windstorm move through Iowa. The Midwest was underwater the last two years, completely flipped their weather pattern. They're drying out these borderline droughts right now. This just absolute flip in the weather pattern for them. And then they have this go through. I mean, there's, Again, it, it's forcing people to really say, can I rethink my farm? Is this what I can do going forward? And we need food. We need our farmers. Yeah. So each area has its own unique story, but they all have a story. They do. Everyone has a story. I would love to let people know where they can find Climate Central because there's some really inf- really amazing information that you guys have. Tell us about, you were mentioning the surging waters and. Absolutely. So Climate Central, we're a nonprofit really focused on the science and communicating the science. And that's why we were created in 2000. We're based in New Jersey. Our website is climatecentral.org. We're in the process of a website redesign right now to look for new and exciting things to come in early 2021. We have a few core programs that we've had over the years and numerous projects that we've taken on, but it's, it's really with the goal of advancing the subject matter and trying to translate it in ways that people can understand and consume. And two of our core programs are Surging Seas, which is all things sea level rise. So a ton of information on that. And the other one is, is the program that I work with, it's Climate Matters, where we started working with TV meteorologists and have eventually expanded out to journalists, everything from training to a weekly package of content that we create that's grounded in science and data driven for local communities across the U.S. And, and that all of that information is stored on our media library on the site. Anyone's welcome to sign up and get it. It's free to the public. It's Every week we take on a new subject matter and some are heavier than others. Today, we put one out on Halloween and Halloween night's getting warmer, you know, overall and just taking a look at that. But then, you know, we get into some of these really big, heavy subjects too. And we get into some of the solutions. We have a great weather power tool that's also on our website for anyone who wants to dive more into renewable energy. It was initially created for our TV meteorologists because if you think about it, wind and solar, they're weather, right? And so it takes a weather forecasting API and it pairs it with current installations of wind and solar that are in place across the country. And then it spits out a few different metrics, depending on which you select, of how much energy is being generated. You know, when you get a big storm come through, you get a lot of wind. And if your area accesses wind energy, Iowa, Texas, you know, you're just rocking it. And Southwest, the amount of sun is extraordinary. And even some of these cloudier states, such as New Jersey, do really well with solar. And so you can play around with that on different days and, and learn a little bit more 
about renewable energy. And, you know, all of this is on that website. You can play around with it. And we're not the only ones out there. We are a very collaborative organization and try to work with so many different friends. And some of our government institutions are still some of the best. NOAA and NASA have great climate change sites. You can learn some of the basics. And as I said, the Yale Climate Opinion Maps, which are research from Yale and George Mason University, if you want to dive into what the public thinks about this. And for those that have questions about some of the skeptical topics that are still floating around, all of that has been debunked on a site called Skeptical Science, which really dives into that part of it. Can so, you say that again? Skeptical? Skeptical Science. Okay. So there's a huge range of ways you can take this. You can always reach out to me if you have a specific question on something. I mean, resources on that, because there's, again, there's so many amazing, real trustworthy resources out there. And that's what you want to go to. Yes. Wonderful. Wonderful. I love that you talked about solar. One of the things that can be so warm here in New York City, but we had so much sun and all these windows. And I just wonder, why don't we have solar panels on everyone's windows? That is great. And there are people looking into that with research right now. And it's one of those things that, again, the more we can shift our thinking and the resources behind groups like that and the Department of Energy and and all that they've done. And there's just so much cool stuff in the works. And that's the stuff we need to get out to the world. Amazing. So Bernadette, I ask everyone who's on the show this one question, which is what keeps you continuing in your work and being the change that I know that this work is tough. It's not, you know, a lot of people, oh, I couldn't do this, but you get up every day and you do it. And of course, when you hit obstacles, like what gets you up in the morning, putting that foot on the ground and and continuing? This is a great question. I think the biggest part of it is that we need to have hope. There are certain things that are baked in that we're not going to be able to fix. Every tenth of a degree really, really matters. And that's why we need to have hope so we can limit the future warming that will be coming our way and what that means. And there's a lot of things under that that give me hope. But that's really, I think, the biggest part of it is that we need to have hope. It is a tough subject at times. It can be overwhelming at times. But there is a Christiana Figueres. She is this rock star in the climate world. She led the Paris Climate Change Agreement from the UN side. And I identified with her on this. We've had conversations about this, but being a stubborn climate optimist, we're not unaware of the reality of the situation, but we know we can do it and we know we will do it. And how fast? You know, that's what remains to be seen. Beautiful. Stubbornly optimistic. Is that what she said? Or There is. And she's got a, a great video out on it. There was a big TEDx event that went on on climate change about two weeks ago. And she had a video on that. If you, you Google Christiana Figueres, she comes from Costa Rica. Her family was in government in Costa Rica. And she talked about how her father and grandfather really changed some of the systems. I mean, Costa Rica is what it is because of some of her family members. And they were Stubbornly optimistic. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I'm going to share that with the kids in my uh, climate club at school. Well, That's great. Bernadette, thank you so much for being on Be the Change. And again, you can find you at Climate Matters, right? And climatecentral.org. 
climatecentral.org. And Climate Central is our organization. The program is Climate Matters, and it has a lot of other good friends that I've talked about already. So it is a collaborative project. Climate Central is the organization. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you, and thank you well, for thank being you for having me and talking about this. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and are inspired. We grow with supporters and listeners like you. So please share this podcast with your community and follow us on Instagram at bethechange.nyc. And to learn more about our guests and what you can do to be the change, go to our website at www.bethechange.nyc. That's bethechange.nyc. Thank you and be well.